want to start off this morning with a quick survey question, and you can give your answer to your neighbor on left or right side, you choose. And if you don't have a neighbor sitting by you, you can just shout it out loud, or if you're watching online, put it in the comment section. But the survey question to start things out today is that when you compare today to 10 years ago, do you think there are less or more distractions available to us today? Compared to 10 years ago, are there less or more distractions? Go ahead and give your answer to your neighbor. I'm hearing lots of mores. I'm hearing a few people who are just waking up, like, what are we doing? I don't know. Uh, you just volunteered to pray, is what we did. So go ahead and, no, just kidding. Um, and, uh, and so, did I just make prayer a joke? That sounds not right. I probably shouldn't do that. Let, Lord, forgive me. Okay. Um, you do that. It's true, right? Like if you're in like a Christian school or a setting and like everyone's being loud, you say, okay, let's pray. And everyone's like, oh, okay. I feel like we use prayer to shush people. But anyway, um, <laughs> from what I could hear is that everybody that I could hear out there and everybody first service, the answer was more. And, and some would say a lot more or definitely more. It just seems like these days that there are so many things to distract us. Pastor Clay Scroggins puts it this way. He compares it to this idea of white noise. If you think of white noise, uh, maybe a white noise app or sound machine, or is it, do anyone sleep with a sound machine or used to that kind of thing? Like the purpose of white noise, or at least in a sound machine, is that a, a bunch of high frequency noises all together kind of washes out the other noise. And so while it might help you sleep, because then you don't hear that creaking of a door or the faucet dripping or the jingling of the dog collar or something at night, because it's just masked by this vague noise that goes from the background into the foreground. Well, what happens though in a spiritual realm is that distractions serve as a white noise that kind of mask the inner feelings or inner needs of our heart. And so you have on one hand the noise of a distraction, and you have on the other the true need of your heart. Here's where this works out practically. So you have this feeling. You're working through a difficult circumstance or situation. So instead of feeling what you need to feel, instead of having the hard conversation, doing the hard thing, you go to fill in the blank. Right? For some people, it's eating. For some people, it's shopping. For some people, it's streaming. For some people, it's social media. For some people, it's sports. And we all have different distractions. Sometimes they're even good things. But good things in replacement of greater things can still cause us harm. Because rather than feeling what we need to feel, rather than thinking what we need to think, rather than having the hard conversation with ourselves or with others, we turn to something to distract us, numb us, or like, I don't want to feel that, and so I turn to this. And so what we want to do today is we want to talk, how, how can we turn down the white noise? How can we turn down the distraction in exchange for our devotion. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that distraction is the enemy of devotion. And discipline is the catalyst of devotion. 
We want to keep this phrase up there for a moment because we want to break this down. That distraction is something that pulls you away from what you're called to do or pulls your focus away. In the same way, when you think of attraction, it pulls you to the person that you love. Distraction pulls you away. Attraction pulls you towards. And it's about attention and about focus. And so when you think about devotion, it's about commitment or love you have for something or someone. So in a loving relationship, in a dating relationship, engagement or marriage, you might be thinking of devotion there. But this also applies in other circumstances. So if you think about your team, devotion to your team, devotion to your friendships, devotion to your calling and purpose, the number one enemy that I believe we face today is not even persecution in our setting, but really distraction. It's the thing that keeps us from the greater thing. It's the noise that keeps us from our greater need. But then thankfully, the reverse here is true. Now, discipline, usually discipline gets associated with some type of negative context. Maybe when you hear the word discipline, you think of like the old one-room schoolhouse with the teacher or the nun with the ruler. Like, wow. Discipline. Or you think or feel guilty because your mind goes to self-discipline, something that you should but you aren't doing. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you hear someone's really self-disciplined, don't you judge that person a little bit? Right? Like you think about the diet that you should have or the workout plan that you should have or the finances or budget that you should have or the look or the interaction. You're like, ah, I'm not doing that. And so we tend to associate discipline with a negative thing. And, and then we bring that context into spiritual disciplines or spiritual formation. But the reality is, is that discipline is the catalyst to devotion because it means you are being intentional with who or what you love. And so spiritual disciplines, what I want to talk to you or challenge you with today, is not so much a legalistic checklist of things to do, but rather it is the key to unlocking a healthy relationship with someone you love. So the word spiritual disciplines, and we're going to talk about four practices of Jesus, or four disciplines of Jesus today that displayed his devotion to God. If that seems really churchy for you, I want you to think about in the context of a relationship. Because while we might not want to be these like spiritual formed or self-disciplined kind of people, that seems kind of eh, religious, religious, I can speak. And, um, and, but we do want better relationships. There's no one that walked into the room today that said, man, I really hope my relationships get worse this year. You know, I, I could use a little more bitterness in my life, you know? You know, I just wish I could be more angry in 2022. You know, my New Year's resolution for 2022 is to worry more, right? No, no one has that. Why? Because we want to get better. But you don't get better by accident. And if, if you care about the relationship, if you care about purpose, if you care about a team or a job, you want to take those steps to improve that. And that's what discipline really is. See, we're in our series called All Things New, and we talk about trying to get a fresh start in the new year, spiritually speaking. 
And that when it comes to getting a fresh start, to growing in our faith, to making 2022 the year of spiritual growth, that it starts by modeling or living or walking in the way that Jesus walked. And so in week one of our series, which you can get on podcasts or you can get on our YouTube channel or on our website, we talked about how Jesus depended upon the Holy Spirit. And that if Jesus himself lived spirit-filled, spirit-led, we too can walk in the Spirit. And that it changes everything. Well, today we're going to talk about how Jesus displayed devotion to God. Devotion to his Heavenly Father. And he gives us four practices That if we practice, we can follow his path, follow his model, and actually grow in our faith. Because we can turn down the white noise, turn down the distraction, and turn up the discipline and increase our devotion to God. Well, let's jump in this together. The first practice of Jesus is that Jesus practiced solitude and Sabbath. Jesus practiced solitude and Sabbath. Now, if that feels too churchy to you, in a relational context, what we're talking about is time. Your notes in the little parentheses, you can write the word time, because that's what solitude and Sabbath is meant to do, is that you spend time with the people you love. So he got away, and he took a day specifically to rest, to connect, and to celebrate with his heavenly Father. So it's not just this idea of like, you know, fortress of solitude, like Superman or something. Like we might not have a a cave in the North Pole for ourselves. But do you take regular time to connect with God? Because if you think about a a relationship context, if you guys came to me and said, hey, John, how's your marriage? I said, great. When's the last time you spent time together? Oh, last year sometime. You know, it was great. Like, it wouldn't work. Like, if you want to grow in your relationship with someone, you have to spend time together. If you want to grow in your relationship with your teammates in a sports setting, in a band, in a workplace, you have to spend time together. And this is what is crucial for us to spend time with God. Now, just being transparent with you of the four practices, this is probably the one I struggle with the most because I'm very much type A, go, 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 ah, right? And, and it's such a common response for Americans. They say, hey, how are you doing? And within the first couple phrases, we use the phrase busy, right? Like it's a badge of honor. And, and busy doesn't necessarily mean bad, but again, even good things in, in replacement of greater things causes us to miss our greater need. And so when I, challenge, I want to challenge you with two verses here when it comes to when we claim to be busy. The first one here comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. It says, And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God himself rested, gave us this rhythm of six days, one day, six days, one day. And a few questions and thoughts here from this passage. Number one, did God actually need to rest? No. So then why did he do it? Did it add that example for us? Another interesting thought. So God rested on the seventh day. When did God make man? 
sixth day. Here's what's interesting about that. While it was the sixth day, when he created male and female, the, the human race, what is the first day they experienced? Seven. On Sabbath, right? So the first day they experienced was Sabbath. And they were given the task of stewarding the whole earth, naming the animals, tending to the garden. And so they were given work, they were given responsibility, but they were first called to rest. And so here's the interesting question that I ask myself. You know, I, I consider myself a busy person. I understand that. I like being busy. I like doing things. You know, we're, we're running a church. Uh, last year, finished grad school, three young kids running around. So busy was very common in our household. But when I look at my to-do list this week, I do not see on there to create the entire universe as I know it. Do you? Does anyone have on their list this week of to-dos, like pick up some milk and create the entire universe? Anybody have that on their to-do this week? No? Okay. So if God had the ultimate busy factor of creating and sustaining entire life as we know it, and then chooses rest, then I think we should think about that. You go to the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is speaking in Mark 2, verses 27 and 28, and he says this. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so you have this picture of Sabbath, which is a day set apart for celebration, connection, and rest in God. It is time spent with the one who created you, with the one who loves you. And so I love this because Jesus says in here that Sabbath was made for man. I gave this to you. This is a gift. Like, I, it's not legalistic. Like, it's not like everyone took it too far and said, well, you can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, and super extreme. He said, no, it's, it's, you were not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you. And he exemplified that. And, and so I think to myself, okay, um, Jesus saved the entire world. That is another thing not on my to-do list this week. Okay? You know, uh, staff meeting, kids practice, laundry, um, paying for the sins of the world is not on my list of to-dos this week. But yet Jesus... Practice solitude and Sabbath. And so if God in creation demonstrated rest, if Jesus, through the process of discipleship, living, preaching, praying, all these things, salvation, practiced it, we need to understand that we need this rhythm in our life. And we can start by just committing time to be with the God who loves us and to be with the ones we love. So are we willing to, to get away? The second practice of Jesus is that Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. And if prayer seems too churchy for you, just think about this concept of just talking. Because solitude and Sabbath is about time. Prayer is about talking, but it's, it's talking and listening, to clarify. 
Any parents in the room had this conversation as your kids get older? You pick them up from school or practice and you're like, hey, how was your day? And you want to connect with them, right? It's relationship. How was your day? Fine. What'd you do? Stuff. And like, you're like, okay, come on, give me a little something. Why? Because you want that relationship. Because you see, prayer is not a button to be pushed, but a relationship to be pursued. Yes, we bring all of our things to him, but at the end of the day, the purpose of prayer is the presence of God, and he wants that relationship. He wants to have communion. He wants to have connection with you. It's not just some button we push or a check mark in the box of to-dos, but a relationship. You know, again, if we go back to the marriage relationship, if someone says, hey, John, how's it going? And I was like, good. You know, when's the last time you talked to Sam? I don't know. When I needed something. Things, weren't, things were really difficult. I was really in the middle of a storm, so I finally called her up. No, like it's, it's a daily thing. It's a regular rhythm. And the beautiful thing is that God can talk to you in any moment. So if you're angry, be angry with God. If you're worried and doubtful, be doubtful and worried with God. If you're hurt, express that hurt to God. If you are struggling and, and, and fighting and, and hoping and longing, bring that longing to God because he wants you to. He's there. He's willing. He's ready. How do we do that? Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, we see this here. Look, Luke chapter 5 is an example. He says in verse 15, but now, um, and so, um, actually go to Luke 5 here. It says, but now even more the report about him went abroad, and the great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Short version, Jesus was busy. He had ministry to do. He had things to do. But then in verse 16, he says this, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Well, how do we pray? Well, we don't have time to deep dive into it, but I want you to encourage you to read Matthew 6. The Lord's Prayer is a great example of that. If you want to see even a deeper, um, not deeper, but a longer prayer, like personal prayer, the heart of Jesus, you can look at, at the high priestly prayer of John 17. And just begin being able to sit in silence, to listen to God. Maybe you're, you're, you don't like sitting still. Go for a walk. Drive in the car, but do that one with your eyes open. And to spend time and to talk with God. Because it makes a difference. There is power in prayer. And Jesus himself modeled that, and we should too. So first thing, he practiced solitude and Sabbath. Second thing is Jesus prayed. The third is that Jesus used Scripture. Jesus used Scripture. And here the relational concept here is truth. Makes sense because Satan is the father of lies. And so you don't fight lies with lies. You fight lies with truth. And the truth is found in the Word of God. We see this as an example here with Jesus. We see this example found in when Jesus was tempted in Luke 4. It says that the devil said to him, 
that you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread, because he just hadn't eaten food in 40 days. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus quotes scripture. Verse 5, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you I will give all the authority and the glory for it has, been give, it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then worship me, it'll, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone you shall serve. So when Jesus was tempted with a lie, he responded with truth. Elsewhere in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We're going to pause in verse 16 for a moment. It says this, all of Scripture is breathed out by God. That idea of breath, you, you picture we talked about the, the Holy Spirit. It's connected in with the Spirit of God here. We see the Word of God. It says breathed out by God and profitable. And you see four things, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So it is good, and we'll go back to that verse for just a moment, for verse 16. And so the fact that it was good for teaching means that it is good that you learn what is right. And then with the fact that the Bible is good for reproof, it teaches us what is not right. The fact that it's good for correction shows us how to get right. And then it says for training, so that's how to stay right. So as we read and use the word of God in our lives, we, we learn how to, what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. And then we see then verse 17, it says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You need the word of God. You need the truth in your life because you got work to do. And any healthy relationship is based in honesty. If you are not honest in a relationship, it will not be healthy. And the same is true with God. It's more than just reading scripture. It's using scripture in your life. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. I love that picture. You don't have to defend scripture. You have to unleash scripture. So many of us are worried like, oh, I don't like that. I don't know. I don't want to offend someone. I'm kind of offended. I don't agree. I don't know. Okay, it's, it's stop trying to negotiate Scripture and instead unleash it in your life. The words of God, the word of God is eternal. The truths of this world will fade the beauty of this world will fade, but the words of God stand forever. It was relevant, it is relevant, it always will be. Why? Because it is true. I love the golf, and years back, golfers started using this phrase, and it's a dumb phrase, I'm just going to preface it. But if you, if you hit a, a, a good tee shot, you stand up on the tee, and you want to hit a big drive down there with a driver, Sometimes you would say, let the big dog eat. That's dumb, I know. It's dumb. 
but golfers know. But it's fun to say. Go ahead and try it right there with your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor. Try it. It's fun. And say, let the big dog eat. <coughs> now, just for frame of reference, it's better if you don't whisper it. <laughs> let, the, let the big dog eat. <laughs> it's time to let the big dog eat. It's time to let the word of God be the word of God. And to rule and reign in our lives. And some people try to stand on the word, meaning like they have authority and they like this verse, they don't like this one. But collectively here at Mission Grove, we sit under the authority of the word. That if there's something in scripture I don't like, I'm probably the one that needs to change. Jesus understood this. We, we need to understand this. Well, how do we apply it? Let me just give you one practical model. There's a lot of deep studies that you can go into, and you can just dive deep, 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 deep into Scripture, and you're going to see something rich and new. But let me just give you a starting point if anyone needs a starting point. It's how to hear from God. I didn't come with, up with the acronym, but I like it, and I use it, and so I want to share that with you. And so to hear from God, four steps here if you're having this quiet time, as some people call it, is to, number one, highlight so if you're reading a story or reading a chapter or reading a portion of scripture, highlight something that stands out to you, a character, a phrase, a verse. And then in your words, then explain what that means. You want to look and you want to listen to what, what God's word has to say. Do you understand what that is? You can get, that's the beauty of the age we live in is that now you can get the phone in your pocket and online and there's commentaries and there's stories and there is um, scholars who are in our room with us. So, you know, I just go to, I just go to Dr. Thickman here. So I just call him up at three in the morning. No, just kidding. I won't do that. But, um, but you, can, you can learn these things. But it's okay to ask questions. And so highlight something. Explain it. Try to see it. What is it saying here? But then you go to Apply. Okay, is there something for me to do? What does this mean for me? Is there a principle to follow? Is there a truth to believe? Is there a promise to cling to? Is there a command to obey? What is it that God has spoken then that applies to me in this moment now? And then the last part is then you respond. And when you respond, that's when you really unleash Scripture. And when you combine that with prayer, it's awesome, right? Reading gets you into the Word. Prayer gets the Word into you. And when you, you combine that with that time alone with God, man, amazing things can happen. Last thing here that Jesus practiced, he did more than four, but we're just limited time-wise, so we're going to stop it at four here, is that Jesus worshiped. Jesus worshiped. And to worship is to give everything you have to whom or what you value most. And the relational concept at the end of the day comes down to trust. When you worship, what you're saying is, God, I trust you. And it's not that we are created wondering, will you worship? You are created worshiping. And so the question is, what do you worship or whom do you worship? Because when you go to a sports arena, when you go to a concert, when you go to a movie premiere, when you, have, um, when you see the sunrise or sunset, mountaintop, or at the ocean, or a hug from a loved one, you experience something that transcends yourself and that, that experience, that expression, that obedience is worship. And so are you worshiping God 
or something else or maybe even self. It comes down to trust. Jesus says this in John 4. He says, But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And then later in Scripture, Romans 12.1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So living your life in a way that shows you trust God is your spiritual worship. So as we close, again, just think of this for a moment, that distraction is the enemy of devotion. But discipline is the catalyst of devotion. And if you think about relational terms, if you want a healthy relationship, it's not limited to, but you need what? You need time. You need to talk to one another and have communication. It needs to be based on truth and to be honest. And then you have to have trust, right? Well, if you want to have a growing relationship, a growing devotion for God, you need those same four things, which comes through the disciplines of solitude and Sabbath, of prayer, of scripture, and of worship. However you're taking notes, I want you to think for a moment, and I want you to write down for you, my distraction is... I want you to write that in. I want you to fill in that blank. Maybe, again, shopping, eating, streaming, social media, sports, politics. What is, like, we do this, don't we? We have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of responsibility. We feel stressed. We feel worried. And we find ourselves rabbit-holing, trailing down into this nth degree of a topic that doesn't necessarily matter. Or is that just me? Is it my only one that does that? Right? And so what we want to do is whatever that distraction you just wrote down, we want you to give that to God. Try to turn down that noise and exchange the noise for the need so that you can grow in your devotion to God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for what you've done and who you are. And God, everything that we give, we give to you. Help us with all the distractions that this world offers, help us not to exchange them for our devotion for you. Help us to turn down that noise and help us to grow in our devotion through our time, through talking with you, finding truth in your word, and then trusting you in our worship. God, may we live how Jesus lived. May we walk how Jesus walked. And I ask now that we, may we respond in our worship and our lives to you. God, we ask that you make all things new. In your son's name we pray, amen. Will you stand and sing with me?